Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. What happens in large firms is they can hire a lot of people. The most important aspect of your is having access to work. The most important thing you can do is have access to work and the people that are critiquing your work. And it should be something that you're excited about. And if it's not, that's a bad sign. All right, so let's get questions. Okay, so the first question, is this recorded so you can watch it again? Yes, it is recorded. We've been experiencing a little bit of delay getting the videos the recordings of these up because our we have a different videographer and we're kind of behind on them. But we will the yeah these are recorded. Yes, and I will email a link to the recorded webinar. I will also try to provide a if you remind me the next session I can provide a, a link to the PowerPoint as well. Okay, so this is a good question. So the first one is and there's a lot of questions here. So I appreciate everyone's questions and I'll answer them all. And the more questions everyone has, I I'm happy to answer them all because I think this is a really important topic. And and I've been watching this for 25 years. So it's fun to talk to people and tell you the things I understand about it. Okay. So here's the question is, can you discuss the challenges of working in real estate law and and, the ch- and wanting to move to another state and practicing real estate law? Okay. So I'm assuming you're doing... There's different types of real estate law. So there's litigation, which is a whole... And I don't think you're a litigator. Otherwise, you would mention that. And then there's leasing, purchase and sale, just a bunch of different types of real estate law. Now, one of the things that concerns me right now about real estate law, just as a practice area, and this does tie into a lot of different practice areas, but real estate law does concern me, is when I started recruiting... It was in the late 1990s. And the, certainly real estate was an active practice area in certain firms, but it was very difficult for people to get positions in a lot of markets. And that was because the interest rates were about where they are now at 7% plus. And so what happens when the interest rates are high is that it tends to depress purchase and sale activity and whether it's residential or commercial, which is commercial rates are even higher than residential. And so people are just not purchasing stuff. And so that slows things down. The other thing that's happening now, if you're reading news, is there's a huge office glut. So all of these companies like Facebook and Twitter, and I guess Twitter is one of them. Yeah, All these companies, Amazon and so forth, are getting rid of a lot of their office space and not using it. So there's a huge glut of places in the market. There's a big trend to work at home. And so I don't think real estate is in great shape at the moment. Those are some of the challenges. And I don't know how long the real estate market will be impacted, but it's a very difficult practice area, I think, in terms of its prognosis for the next year or two, at least. What, if you do want to continue practicing real estate law, I think you definitely can. And you may be in a large market. One of the things that I talk about on all of these meetings is the different firms you can work at. So the largest firms with the most money to spend, which you would call like your five, I call the five firms. I mean, this is this thing that I developed. And then these are your typically like your AMLAW and large firms that represent huge clients. And then they have less money to spend. So you give them like four things. And then when you go down at the bottom here, which isn't, there's nothing negative about it. It's typically consumers without much money or any money. So they, and this is, these are more consumer facing practice areas or, or things where there's not a lot of money involved. And then you, in your three would be mid-sized companies to large or small companies to, to medium with maybe some large with less money. And then these are merged to small companies. So the point of these rankings is it's nothing negative about these, but it's basically showing that these types of employers will have, will be able to hire different types of people. So 
What I always recommend, if I was a real estate attorney right now, a five would be your firms in the largest cities and think of huge firms in New York City or in LA or all over the country, but your biggest firms representing huge clients doing real estate work. Same thing with four. If I wanted to move to another market and I was a real estate attorney working at like a four firm, I would probably try to move to a, a smaller firm, like a three or even a two, where there might be a little bit more stability because what happens in large firms is they can hire a lot of people because of their high salaries and they can overextend themselves and they become dangerous places to work. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't find a very good firm that has a large institutional clients and a lot of work up constantly, but it just is a much more difficult long-term bet. So if I was moving markets and I was a real estate attorney, I probably would, and I was moving to a smaller market you're probably going to have to move down in terms of the prestige level, maybe. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's safer to move down to a smaller firm. One piece of advice I would give everyone on this webinar is that if you're in a firm and you feel like the work's slowing down and you think your job is at risk, and that's fine. It's nothing you've caused. And, and these are all things that are just impacting you. and You can't control them. Then... One of the smartest things you can often do is either move to a smaller market where you're a big fish in a small pond, or you can also move to a smaller firm within your market. When there are recessions, what tends to happen is firms in smaller markets have lower billing rates. And so a lot of times companies will start to save money, will start sending work to the smaller firms in smaller markets. And that can actually be very smart for you to do to go to those types of firms. I do recommend if you're in a dangerous situation that you could potentially do that. I'll tell the story because it's, it's, I like this story. It's a good story and a bad story. The story is this. So when I was in 2008, when we had a, a large, there was a big recession. What happened is we had an office in New York and then we had an office in, in Chicago. And the office in Chicago was led by a woman that had been a, a recruiting coordinator, a big firm. I don't know that she even had a college degree, but she was very smart and a nice person, followed directions and had a bunch of people working for her that were also recruiters that were attorneys. And, and then we had an office in Chicago that was led by a very smart attorney and, and some other very smart attorneys were working with her. And, and so what happened is the market just completely in New York imploded in 2008. It was a horrible thing. And so what I said to all of the recruiters in the company was, I said, you have to start working your candidates and getting them out of these really large depressed markets and sending them to smaller markets because the good candidates will get jobs in smaller markets and the work will be more stable in smaller markets than larger markets. That's just always been the case. But the girls in New York were like, we're, no, we're New York recruiters. We only work with the biggest firms. We're I mean, all this prestige stuff. And even though there's all these suburbs of New York and upstate New York, and, and so they continued working only with people trying to get positions at big firms in New York, which was the biggest mistake they could have made. And then the women in Chicago were like, okay, this is what he's saying to do. And this is what we'll do. And so the women in Chicago had their literally their best year ever. They were making placements every week and doing very well all through the recession because they were working with the same people, but they were just saying, this, these big markets is just not a good idea. I don't know why it happens in big markets. I think it's because there's just a overpopulation of attorneys and there's just so many people looking for jobs and it's just a very hard place to get a job during a recession. And then the women in New York were continually trying to place people in New York. And it was just crazy. And so they went like a, an entire 
year with a very little income and not doing well, where the women in Chicago did exceptionally well. And the same thing with our recruiters in other parts of the country. And just for whatever reason, we had a people in Texas then, and Texas wasn't really that affected through that whole recession. Either was uh, Colorado and uh, mountain states. But the point is, is that you have to look at, if you're in a position and you're, and you're trying to move, you have to be very aware that if you're competing in very markets where there's a lot of layoffs and stuff, it's going to be very difficult for you many times to get a position. And I hate to be so direct about that, but, but th- this is something that I've learned over and over again. And uh, I almost feel like it'd be malpractice if I didn't share that with you. Okay, let me see here. Let's see. Given the competitive nature of large firms, is it possible to find partners who are good trainers and teachers and are willing to share their knowledge? Yes, of course it is. All law firms, people there, young lawyers can always find people that are good trainers and willing to share their knowledge. In most cases, the best way for you to, for them to share knowledge with you is to do the best work you possibly can for them. And when you do that, they'll respect you and be really and look out for you, I think, and will be willing to share their knowledge. Many times, this is a funny thing to say, but in every firm, there are partners that that feel like they're not respected by other partners or associates. And it's just the way it is. And and then there's partners that have big, huge egos and and. Who knows? But there's just different types of people. A lot of times, the people that are going to give you the most knowledge are the people that are may not be seen as respected by other people, but they will tell you a lot of things and give you a perspective. It may not always be the best perspective, but they will give you a perspective and they will point things out to you about you that are holding you back. Many times what they're doing is they're, I don't know what it's called, it's projecting, projecting aspects of themselves, but they'll tell you things that that will help you many times that the more powerful partners a lot of times won't find, you know, which I've noticed a lot. But one thing is if you, whatever your practice area, if you look like you're very interested and very committed to what you do, then they, then people will get behind you and they will help you and they will share knowledge with you. I had an experience once when I was at Quinn Emanuel where I was just really interested in litigation. And I was talking to a partner one day after work late, maybe eight or nine, about taking depositions. And even though I didn't have a deposition schedule, he was sharing with me how to take a deposition. And then what was interesting is when I came into work the next day, he'd left me, I don't know, two or three voicemails because they kept cutting off after five or 10 minutes about his advice about how to give a deposition. And even though I, he'd already talked to me about it for a long time, and I thought that was really nice that he did that. So people will give you, and I respect him and, and respect him to this day. I still talk to him because of that interest. So if you look like you're very interested in something and you're trying very hard and you look like you're going to stick around, then people will, will often can give you advice. Okay. So let's see. When you move to another practice area, you automatically take a pay cut as a first-year associate. So first-year associates moving practice areas don't always take pay cuts. So what'll happen, I think, right now, if they're... I haven't been reading about a ton of layoffs, but they're certainly... They will come. When they start coming, what firms will often do is they will lay people off in one practice area, but then be at the same time hiring people in another. So if you're a first-year associate and you're doing you were hired to do corporate and your firm runs out of corporate work. Some people will be able to transition to litigation as first-year associates because you can certainly still do the work. Others won't, but that that's one thing. But if you do move firms and you have to move to a smaller firm, then many times you will have to take a pay cut. One of the things I would 
this is just as a for young attorneys, one of the things that I think it's very important to understand is the most important aspect of your first three to five years of practice is having access. To, it's actually your whole career, but the most important aspect of your is having access to work. Because when you get out of law school, you're not really, you're not trained as an attorney. Like you don't really, there's nothing you know about the practice of law. Like you don't, you know, there's just, you're not, so I'm trying to, you're not trained. So you need to be trained and preferably in your practice area, preferably at the best firm you can be trained at. It doesn't matter if you're at a one through five firm, but you want to be the largest firms typically will train you a lot more depth about things and slower than, than your smaller firms. But the most important thing you can do is have access to work and the people that are critiquing your work. That's really the whole point. The money shouldn't matter. Now, the money is an ego thing. So people think that money is important and they need loans and you think that you measure your self-worth based on how much money you make. But Ideally, really, the most important thing is having access to work, meaning people giving you work, because work does dry up. And if work dries up and you're out of work, it becomes very difficult to get into a firm that's just as good. Many times you're with that discouragement, it takes a lot of wind out of your sails. And and then people are just never feel secure the rest of their career. It's just there's all sorts of problems with not having access to work. So this is really the number one thing to remember. If there's anything you ever remember from from this webinar or from that I've ever taught, it's really this. You have to have access to work. It's the same thing for partners too, because if partners don't have work, then their career ends. So everybody needs to have access to work. And how do you get access to work? You either create your own work or you you make friends and you ingratiate yourself with people that want to give you work. You make people feel good about giving you work, not bad. And you, you're a team player. So this is hugely important. It's something I can, can't stress enough. When you stop getting access to work, what happens is then you start feeling badly about yourself. You feel people will punish you by not giving you access to work if they just don't like you or if you're not pleasant about getting work, if, you're, if you don't seem excited to get work, if you turn down assignments, if you all sorts of things so that you have to have access to work. And people always think it's they have too much work, they complain, but it's even worse not having access to work. And this is a huge lesson. So I wouldn't really concentrate if I was you on your income as much as the access to the work. Now, it may mean going to a smaller firm sometimes or a firm that's access to work, I think is really, in my opinion, the most important thing. So you need to make sure you're doing what you can. But yeah, money. But I guess to answer your question, I'm sorry, your question is when you move to another practice here, you take a huge pay cut. And not always, and, but if you move to if you move to another practice area, what'll often happen is you'll have to take a pay cut because no one, most firms are not going to a firm that's as good as where you're at right now is often not going to hire you if you're trying to do something else. Because and so the I just I want to answer this question a little bit differently. Why would you take a pay cut if you switch practice areas? So I mean, it's a very good question. Or why would you have to? So when firms are hiring you, they're basically asking, they're asking five questions. Can you do the job if you're trying to do a new practice area? Many times you might think the answer to that automatically would be no, but probably you can. So if you're doing litigation, you're trying to get into corporate, for example, the odds are if you have a decent IQ and so forth, you can probably do the job there's in your graduate of law school. There's probably that that's probably the truth. Now, can you do the job at the level they need you to? Meaning, are you going to be able to step in 
to a new position and do it the way they want it? And the answer is no. So that's one of the reasons you may have to take a pay cut because it's basically there's a ramping up period. It takes to learn a new practice area, typically to become proficient in a practice area is three to five years. So that's why I wrote three to five years. So proficiency takes three to five years, meaning you can be given something and they can pretty much figure it out and do anything well enough. So that's three percent takes three to five years. So you probably can't do the job. Can you be managed? That's, a, that's again, that's a kind of, and again, this is just think about yourself, how you would think about someone if you were hiring them. So if somebody walks in, if your gardener walks in and says, I want to uh, take care of your kids or do something completely different than what it, that he or she's doing. Maybe they can do it, but learn to take kids. It's not like hiring an experienced nanny. They're going to need some experience doing this so that you may not be able to do the job and there's going to be a ramping up period. And so that's difficult. Now, can you be managed? They don't, they don't know, but it's, it does seem odd to them. Many firms odd that you would want to switch. And it's going to bring questions, meaning, is this person, what's wrong? Like, why are they trying to switch? So that's that. And then will you commit and do the job long term? The answer is probably no, because they don't, because you certainly did not commit. You've proven you've not committed to the last practice area, to current practice area. So what's to say that you're not likely enough to commit to the new one? So that's, and that's been their experience. So that's the other problem. And then the, do you want the job? You may want it. So everything I spoke about in this webinar was to show firms that you really did want the job. And so if you do things like networking and studying the new practice area, that's probably going to show that you probably want the job. And then do we like you? If you are effectively networking and, stuff and passionate about it, then yes, they may like you. So these are the challenges that you face when you're doing, when you're looking for a new job. And if the law firm believes, and most law firms, large law firms are looking at you through this matrix. Now, they never say, they don't say these are the five things we're looking for, but this is really what it comes down to in my experience. And this is having worked with tens of thousands of people. These are always the questions that that are coming out. And, and, And the reasons for rejecting people are always related to these. So this is what you need to do. So if you're looking to take switch practice areas, in order to, to switch practice areas, you're going to have to come go to a firm that's going to ignore these things. So they're going to ignore the fact that you may not be able to do the job you're going to need to ramp up. They're going to need to ignore the fact that you may not commit. And so many times what that means is if you're at a if you're trying to switch practice areas you're at a four firm, maybe you go to a three firm that will not will take a risk, will take a risk on you because of your qualification. So I, I can give you lots of examples of people I've worked with like this. So I was working with a a guy not too long ago, he went to Harvard Law School and did very well there. It was a, it doesn't really matter, but I think he was a, a former professional athlete or something of some sort, or maybe a really successful college athlete. And this is a tall guy and just had a lot of presence. But when he came out of law school, he did something like went to work for the army or I don't know what it was, but it was something that was not at all related. But because of his background, I was like, okay, I'll work with him. But he'd been working for three or four years, I think, for the army. or It was some government type thing, doing something administrative in nature, not that related to the practice law, but it was a practice area, but it wasn't like a traditional law firm practice area. And he wanted to go to a law firm. So I got him a job as a labor and employment firm. It was probably, I would say, a three, maybe a three plus. And he was like, wow, there's hundreds of people here. And I'm the only one that went to Harvard. What's going on? And I was like, you can't expect any large law firm to hire you because you don't 
your essentially switching practice areas and you're you're trying to and you're not proven and these are all the reasons you they don't know if you can do the job they don't know if you're going to commit and all these things but they liked him and so he got into a good firm and and he took a long time to accept the offer and eventually the firm was if you don't accept by tomorrow we're going to withdraw and so he accepted now he's been there for several years and is doing well but if you want to switch practice areas you're going to have to many times look at things from the law firm's point of view and and realize you're probably going to need to go to a smaller firm to make that happen or a firm that's less prestigious because there's just too much of a risk for them. So I hope that answer helps. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. Okay, I like this last question. I'm gonna, and I'm, there's a lot of other questions, so I will answer them. But I'm gonna. This is a long one, so I'm gonna try to answer it. And any other questions anyone has, I'm happy to answer them. These are great questions, and your answer. These questions are helpful for a lot of people. Okay, I'm currently working on commercial mortgage-backed securities transactions. I'm thinking about transferring to M&A. You mentioned that we should keep an eye on all the updates in the industry. Do you have any suggestions or resources, organizations I could join to keep myself apprised of new trends in M&A? Also, how transferable do you think my experiences are in commercial mortgage-backed securities transactions when transferred to M&A? We focus mostly on mortgage-backed securitization. I feel it really has nothing to do with M&A, but it's more related to real estate. Okay, so if I was in doing commercial mortgage-backed securities transactions and thinking about transferring, I don't know why you would want to transfer, but maybe it's because you're worried that it's going to slow down or maybe you just don't like it very much. There's a lot of, and I don't know how long you've been doing it as well. So those kind of all would be relevant to your question. But I do think that to learn about M&A, there's lots of organizations that do it. Pretty much whatever your practice area is, there's going to be all sorts of organizations that have something to do with it. So you can look up whatever your practice area is and do searches for organizations in that practice area and find it. It's a huge practice area. There's a lot of stuff about that. Now, you raise a good question transferring to M&A from that practice area. That is a, what you're talking about doing is you're talking about transferring from essentially a one corporate real estate type, one transactional practice area to another transactional practice area, which is a lot easier than if you were doing, say, commercial litigation and trying to transfer to M&A. So you're in a, in a transactional practice area, and that's a huge start. And so it's going to be much easier for you to transfer if you want to do transfer from that practice area to essentially another practice area. Now, you have a bunch of options. And I'll talk to you a little bit about how I would go about doing it if I was in your shoes and how to think about it from a more of a strategic standpoint in terms of how 
law firms work and how a switch would work. My guess is that you're probably at a four firm, which is which I would say would be like an AmLaw 100 or something, a big firm, and and you're doing that practice series. When you st- and so four firms would be ones where they would have very discrete, many times practice areas, meaning. They'll have people doing something just like you're doing, commercial mortgage-backed securities. And, uh, and that's it. So that would be a big firm. And they, the largest firms do things like that. And they do practice areas that are very specified because the idea is that attorneys that are specialized can charge more money and clients get better value and better service. And so that's how the law firms think about it. And so they and typically, those are going to be in big cities and that sort of thing. So probably at a four firm doing now... What I would say is there's five firms that probably also do that and four firms, but there's three firms probably that do the practice area in two. But if they do that, when you start getting into smaller firms, we'll mix it up. So they'll do, they may do securities and M&A. Attorneys literally could do both, securities and M&A or securities and or real estate or M&A and general corporate. Just they mix things up because they don't have the expertise to, they don't have the clients that are as large that are demanding that specialization. So if you are working in a market like Palo Alto or New York or Chicago, you may be doing a very discreet practice area. But if you were to go and work at a big firm in, say, Cleveland or Minneapolis, the attorneys might do a bunch of different things or a smaller firm in one of those markets. They might do a bunch of different things. So your question is, how would I switch over? You have a couple options. The other thing you can do too, is you could also go to another four firm where you could do that and M&A in other practice areas because in firms without clients could hire you to do that. And then you could get experience in their general corporate department, which might do a bunch of different things. Instead of just commercial mortgage-backed securities, they might do that and a bunch of different things. So if I was you searching, what I would do is I probably would look for firms where you could sell yourself based on having that experience, but also work in other practice areas as well. So that would mean you could go to a four firm potentially in your own market that does that, does different things, or in a smaller market. In a smaller market, the lot a four firm is likely to do different things. Smaller market, or you could go to a, or you could go to a three firm or a smaller firm. That, that's how I would do it. One of the things that's nice about your practice area is there's not a ton of firms that do it, meaning I'm sure you know who all your competitors are. And if you get experience in something like that, you're going to be very marketable probably throughout your whole career because the more specialized you get, better off it would be. But M&A is also a very good practice area, obviously. And you could certainly switch to that. But anytime you're trying to switch within corporate, it, it can be difficult to do sometimes if you're trying to go to a, a firm that's of the same quality. And uh, you know that's up, kind of up to you. Most firms that are looking for M&A people are going to want to hire someone that his primary experience is an M&A and, not the, and then they're not going to have to train just as they probably would. It would be very difficult for your firm. Your firm would probably be quite unwilling to hire someone to do commercial mortgage-backed securities was coming from M&A. So I hope that answers your question. It doesn't, you're right. It doesn't have really anything to do with M&A. It's a completely different practice area, but that's how I would go about it is I would try to find a firm where where there's more corporate generalist as opposed to corporate specialist. And then uh, then that experience could go in there. And it's securitization is related, could be more related to real estate. But there's also other types of securitization. People securitize auto leases and all sorts of things. That's how I would think about it if I was trying to do it. But I would say that what you're trying to do is more likely to work at a firm that's probably not as good as the one you're at. 
if you're trying to switch practice areas. Okay, I hope that helps. This is a fun question. What are some of the less stressful areas of law to practice for a lawyer? What I think is the least stressful attorneys are often practicing in things like trust and estates. I think that that's a very practice area that doesn't have a lot of stress involved in it for a lot of people. And they like it because there's not always a lot of time pressure to get things done. And the work is often not confrontational because it's not, there's just not a lot of pressure. Uh, So I think people like that. But typically, the practice areas that aren't going to be stressful for you are ones where you have a natural skill and natural ability and where they're interesting to you. And one thing I always try to say to people is that I believe that it's very smart to try to go into practice areas and work where you get excited about doing them, where you want to get up in the morning and do them, where the work is interesting and where you enjoy reading about them and doing them. And the more practice areas like that for you, the better off you're going to be. What are the signs that an attorney should consider changing specialties? So I think thinking about changing specialties, I think that really the idea is that the work itself is not fun. You miss things. You're not just incompetent. You feel incompetent and are incompetent. And around you, seeing everyone, everyone is catching on to stuff much faster. But you, you're not interested in it. You feel like avoiding the work. Time doesn't fly fast. I mean, you're hoping for the hoping for it to turn for the day to end. You look, you do not look forward. All these sorts of things. You do not look forward to work. And if you feel this way about what you're doing. You feel like the work isn't fun. You're missing things. You believe you're incompetent. You're not catching on to things. Other people are doing catching on to stuff much faster. You want to avoid work, meaning you don't feel like working. You're watching the clock. You're padding time, meaning I'm not saying you're overbilling clients, but maybe you're acting like you're in the office more than you are really are working. These are all signs you're probably in the wrong practice area because you really, whatever you're doing in the practice of law and any job, by the way, it should be fun and you should be excited by it. And time should go quickly and not slowly. It should be, you should be in a position where at the end of the day, you can't believe how much time's gone by and you've had a very good time. So those are all things that, that I really recommend to people if to, in order to that you want to be in a position where you feel very engaged by your job. And if you don't feel that way, that's not a good sign. It means that, that there's something about the practice area that's not appealing to you. So I would think about it just like when you're in, I can remember, I, I get there's local community colleges and courses and stuff that send around catalogs and things of their courses. I don't know why they send it to my house, but they do. And, and so they'll be sitting on the table or something and I'll pick them up and I'll always see classes that appeal to me and ones that don't. If a local community college is having a class about genetics, I'm definitely not going to be interested in that. But if they're having one about something related to anything related to human resources and the kind of things that I do for a living, they look extremely interesting. I'm like, I wonder if I can make time to do this. So this is how it should be with a practice area. Like a practice area should appeal to you in that way. And it should be something that you're excited about. And if it's not, that's a bad sign. And, And you should find another one. And the practice area itself doesn't necessarily need to be intellectually interesting. It could be types of interactions it sets up. So some people are just very driven to personal injury because of the types of interactions they believe it sets up, or they're driven to employment law or being employment plaintiff's attorney. It's just different things motivate people in different ways, and that can help them. This is a good question. Thanks for asking this. I've got a, what time is it? Oh, someone asked, what time is the webinar over? It'll be over pretty soon. I'm just going through some questions here. Some of them are, I've already answered, but I'm looking if there's new questions, but it'll, yeah, it'll be over in a little bit. I try not to show people's names. Attorneys are funny because they, they don't 
we want to keep your name. I always try to keep those confidentiality. So I'm a former Division One athlete, but is interested in sports entertainment law and currently working corporate law and contracts. I heard you speak to entertainment and sports being short-term, lack of work, and not lucrative. What advice would you give to someone trying to switch to that field? Should I stay open to my own agency or go to work with various sports or entertainment agencies? Will work drive there as well? Okay, so this is a good question. So everything about the practice of law really deals with, and it's very interesting. So this is what I've discovered after more than three decades of being in this field. It's everything is about access to money about access to client to, to money. This is how firms operate. Like how much money, how much money can a firm will you have access to if you go to a certain firm? So if you go to a firm, your Wachtells and your Sullivan and Cromwells and things like that, like these clients, the five firms, clients will clients have no do, do not care. Clients will spend whatever you tell them they need to spend. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. Without very little question, with a few questions. So this is what happens when you work for the biggest firms. And then in general, more of the same, much less, but not as much. And then three, and as you get down to one, clients extremely cost sensitive. So what happens in, in things like entertainment law or sports and entertainment law is that the clients are a lot of times individuals. They can be entrepreneurs that own sports teams or but and again, sports is a huge business. I'm not poo-pooing it, but a lot of what people are thinking about when they go into these practice areas is they're thinking about representing talent, which means athletes and other people. And athletes, of course, make tens of millions of dollars a year in many cases. But at the same time, the work that they require compared to what a a, bit, a large company requires is much, much different. So five firms are trying to get work from Tesla and Amazon and things like that, where four firms are doing much more of the same. And then three firms are working for smaller companies and so forth. And two mainly individuals and small local businesses you may work for, know about. So the point is, when you work in sports and entertainment law or in, uh, in practice areas like that, you're more often negotiating single contracts. You're doing things that are not as likely to generate massive fees. And, and for that reason, a lot of sports and entertainment firms would be like one or two firms, mainly two, but they represent different types of people and things. And there's not as much money involved. That's not to say you can't make a lot of money doing it, but it's more like piecemeal. If you are working in a large law firm, you have all this work in front of you and you can pretty much sit down and bill clients to your leisure and they will pay you. Not all of them, of course, but that's the idea. But when you have sports and entertainment clients, that's what happened. I have done entertainment law. I've worked for famous entertainment attorneys during my career. One of them, George Hedges, had lots of big... He's no longer alive, but I did a lot of work for him. And when, and the work was always very, don't bill more than a few hours on this, do this, do that. And it was just very... The, everything was just very small projects. Whereas when you sit down and you're 
representing General Motors or something. These are just, you just go all out. And a lot of times the work also isn't that sophisticated. So meaning the work is, the contracts aren't very complex and the, the disputes aren't really that complex compared to what you would get in different types of things. So th- this is, but that's not to say you couldn't do well in it. I'm just telling you the limitations and going to work for a sports entertainment agency might be a very smart thing to do, especially if you're a former athlete and it might be good for you if that's what you want to do. And I've, when I was practicing law, I saw a lot of people do that. They, at least in the last firm I was at, a couple of people that were former athletes did that. I don't, and I think one of them now is a general counsel of a, a major basketball team and another one did something. So it's a good field. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being in it. I'm just telling you how, from the business standpoint, how there's many times access to less money when you're, if you're trying to do it in a law firm. And uh, so that's how I would think about it. I would say if this is something you're interested in doing, that I would commit to it and, and do what you can to be involved in work in an agency. I don't know that working in an agency is going to be similar to, I don't know if you're talking about being an agent or what you're talking about, but that's a different job than practicing law. And you may not, you may or may not have the skills for that. Being an agent is about, it's about, it can be a much different skill set than being a corporate attorney because you're, you're dealing with different types of things. So if it was me and I was considering doing something like that, I would probably do what I would probably meet people in the industry first that are doing the kind of work you want to talk to them, get a sense of what they do, ask them questions and, and, and before you make a move like that, because it's, that's a huge career change and it could be very, a very smart career change. I, I've known, I know lots of people that have gone into that. I have one friend right now that just committed to this whole sports field and has done very well. Now he's working for the Saudi golf league, making huge amounts of money consulting or I don't know, he's got some role there, not consulting, he's an employee, but so you can do very well. So I think I would, if I was interested in going into entertainment or if I was interested in being an agent, I would try to learn more about it first. And I would talk to people before making the switch because getting into the type of work you're in now is not easy. And my advice too, is always to become an expert in corporate bar and contracts. You really are going to need three to five years. Once you have that, you're a pretty good attorney if you're at a law firm, because that three to five years of experience will will teach you how to think and how to do things like an attorney needs to. And, and that thinking process and contacts that you make will be things you can use later in your career. So I hope that was a good answer for you. I know that's a lot to offer, but I've seen a lot of people do this and I know that's the stress you may be having with it, making that decision. Okay. All right. Let me see here. Just okay. This is someone that's a lawyer from another country. I did a paralegal certification. It's still been hard for me to keep my feet in the legal door because I don't have any experience. Or someone to climb here overqualified. Please get suggestions. So one thing that I would say that can be very useful is to, if you are interested in working in anybody that's having a difficult time getting a job, I'll tell you. I shouldn't even say this, but. I had an opening for an in-house counsel years ago, and and I was getting and people really like in-house counsel jobs. They will do all sorts of things to get them. They'll call and leave messages, and I was getting at great applications of people that wanted to do this job for us, and from major firms and hundreds of them. And 
And I had the opening and interviewed some people. Then I put it on hold and went to work, look at other, was working at other things. And, and then one day this woman walked in my office and she was older. I don't know how old, but I would estimate probably in her late fifties, early sixties and gave me this and had her resume and said that she really wanted the job and she'd applied a bunch of times and I hadn't responded. And, and so long story short, I was very flattered and very easy that she walked in. She was in my office and wanted to meet. And, uh, and, and because of that, I ended up hiring her and she worked for me for several months and I gave her a bunch of work and was literally without a doubt. And I don't say this to be mean, but she had no business practicing law, was the worst attorney that I've ever encountered uh, in my life, meaning to the extent where she couldn't put together a sentence and stuff. And I was just so working on so many different things. Nothing that I gave her was done. But the point is that I made a huge mistake there. And I've actually hired very good attorneys. Mostly everybody I've hired has been exceptional. I'm not criticizing anybody that's worked for me, but this person was just not a good attorney. And the point is that she was able to get a job with me among someone supposedly like an expert in hiring among all sorts of other people because of she walked in, really wanted a job, acted like she did. Her resume seemed that from what I saw in her resume, she looked like she could do the work that I had, which was very simple work. It was just doing acts with law firms or something. It wasn't very complex work, but at the same time, I made a mistake. So if you want to get a job with someone, and many times the, the best way to do it is if you're just applying and sending out resumes to people and applying and saying, I'm from whatever country and I'm a paralegal and I want to work with you, people aren't going to respond to your resume. Think what you would do if you were in a, a law firm. Why would they take a chance on you? They have no incentive to do. There's probably much better applicants coming in. But many times, if you show up at an employer, with your resume, say, I know you have this opening. I'd love to talk to you about it. I can do the job. I work hard. Then you will often be hired. And I've hired a lot of people like that. I hired one person one time from, I think he was from, I think he's from the Ukraine. But he came in and said he really wanted a job and he'd work hard and he'd be, and now he's very successful working for a company that does marketing for law firms. I mean, makes very good living, three or $400,000 a year. And he started out working for me at practically minimum wage, not maybe a little more than that. But my point is that people can do very well. And will often, if you take a chance on people, will take a chance on you. If you show up at an employer's office and you act like you really want the job and you have, and they see you and so forth. I've made that mistake many times and, and, and it can work. And then I had I just, this is one final thing that I thought uh, was very interesting when I was in law school, I remember I was one day I was at the first, I don't know, it's like the first day of school or something. And, and I walked by the, there was a missions office and then I was going to see some other person. There were all these people sitting outside the admissions office. And uh, I knew the admissions guy because he taught uh, you know, professional responsibilities. I'm like, what are all these people doing here? And so these are all people who are on the wait list and they come and they sit down and they wait and say, we're going to wait to see if we can get in, if people don't show up and stuff. And they do this every year. And this is how many times we fill people off the admission from our wait list. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. So people would actually show up in the law school, in the admissions office, the day before school started, or the day of school started, in case there were openings and being like, I'm here ready to study and go. I thought it was just fascinating. I guess they're already in the wait list. But, but sometimes that's a, if you want a job, being the one that 
is the most proactive can work. And I've hired a lot of people to work for me that were from other countries that, that came to that really wanted to work for me and just showed up in my office. And I've also represented people in the past and got them jobs that did that that I normally wouldn't have represented. So being proactive, asking for help, telling people you'll work for them many times for less money or whatever can often work very well. Okay. So let's see. I think that's about it in terms of the questions. Let me see here. It says, will changing a practice here in a short period of time impact your future job applications? No. Once you switch practice areas, that's fine. One thing I do recommend many times, this is just a final piece of advice, and then I'll end this webinar. But one thing that you can do a lot of times, if you're if you're in one practice area and, and you want to switch practice areas, so say you're doing... I don't know. Many times you can just put down the name of the firm and say you're an associate and then just be very general about what you're doing. So if you were doing, if you want to, if you want to be a, I don't know, a corporate attorney and you did a little bit of corporate work at your firm and mainly you did litigation related work, what you can do a lot of times is you just describe the corporate work you did at the beginning. So you would talk about, you'd say when the firm name, firm name dates, and then you would say associate, and then you might say whatever your title was, and then you would say drafted contracts and reviewed and bylaw, corporate bylaws, whatever other things you might have done that are related. And then you would say also worked on litigation matters related to um, litigation. So I don't know, drafted discovery, and, and this is not and that sort of thing. So that can be helpful to do things that way. So then you don't just say corporate, you don't say litigation, so you say associate, and then you may talk a little bit about whatever you did. And then if you're applying for a corporate job, that can be, then people see this and are like, oh, you, what have you done? And then that's one of the things I recommend if you're trying to switch practice here is if you have a little bit of experience in the one you're trying to switch over to, you can always describe that many times at the beginning of your experience. And then if your last two or three jobs before that or your last jobs, you maybe did litigation, you would just say associate and you would say firm name and then associate. And then I'm not telling you to be dishonest, but I'm telling you, and then you just say associate and maybe not say anything. And then because what happens is you're going to automatically disqualify yourself from jobs if you do it that way. And then when you go into interviews, they'll certainly ask you, but you'll kind of you have to be honest and you should never ever lie in an interview or on your resume. But you just don't draw a lot of attention to things that are not related to your practice here. Because if people see litigation in every job, then they're just going to be like, oh, this ridiculous tired this person for a corporate job. They see uh, you've done some corporate related work and this job, and then you're honest about the fact you've also worked on litigation. You don't always need to talk about all the other experience uh, that you have as well. Um, so that's kind of how I would do it. That's, I think that's about it. So I certainly appreciate everyone's questions today. And it was great talking to everyone. Next week is Wednesday. So I think that is that. I'm not sure if that's the for Thanksgiving, but we'll be doing a webinar then. And I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com. 